Well, uh, we are going to be in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and I am like giddy excited about this message. So uh, y'all got to bear with the brother, uh, but I'm just excited to talk about the love of God. So 1 John chapter 4, when you have it, say amen. Oh, that was, that was good work. Y'all already knew where we were. So, well, I'm going to go ahead and start reading um, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin at verse 7, and we're just going through verse 12. So uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through verse 12. This is the word, what the Word of God says to us. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You can probably underline love every time you see it in this text. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's a whole bunch of talk about love. And I like this. Uh, anybody got a chance to meet my lovely wife uh, here since you've been here? Yeah, y'all can celebrate uh, my boo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to tell y'all a quick story about uh, the way we fell in love. Um, and so uh, it was freshman year of high school. We met each other. Uh, first day of high school, true story. Uh, I was uh, kind of from a different part of town. She was coming from Southern Cali, and so we didn't really know anybody else. And so we're both really shy introverts. So I went down, sat down with my cafeteria pizza. And then uh, here comes this just fine thing. You can almost just see the glow behind her just walking all shreddy, you know, it's first day of high school, she got a nice gear on, and so I'm like, all right, all right, all right, let me play it cool, let me wipe the grease off of my face, and then she sits down, I'm like, oh, snap, this is crazy, man, here we go, so I'm trying to play it real cool, I don't smile at nothing like that, it's just like a, a simple smirk, you know what I mean, like, hey, what's up, how you doing? <laughs> So she sits down, and, and we begin to talk about our interests, and I tell her that I love hoops, I love playing basketball, and I'm going to be playing for the basketball team. And she says, well, that's great, because I'm going to cheerlead, and I'm going to be cheering for you. And we're like having this great chemistry, right? I go home, and I tell my mom, yo, I found the girl I'm going to marry. True story. It was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sweet. It was all that. Yes. And then we didn't talk for the next three years. <laughs> But by God's grace, senior year, we reconnect and kindle in the flame again. We end up going to Temple University together. I study mechanical engineering. She studies computer and electrical engineering. And God leaves her to Jesus Christ, not because of me, but in spite of me. And so God did this incredible story, brings us together. We get engaged and then married, and the rest is history. A wonderful love story. Now, I tell you that story because I love talking about love. Love is special to me for a lot of reasons. But the most important reason that love is special to me is because I think our society 
is trying to figure out what to do with this concept of love. Everybody's talking about it. I remember literally driving here uh, in Des Moines, and we, me and my wife spotted a bumper sticker that had a white dog, a brown dog, and then a rainbow-colored dog in the middle. And under it, it, it was tagged, Choose Love. And it was interesting as we were thinking about this, like, what is this trying to teach us, and why did they use dogs? <laughs> Try to figure it all out, but I, I think they were trying to say, man, love is affirming. And, and there's so many different ideas about love, and then you got people who sing about love. Uh, anybody heard of Music Soul Child? So y'all don't know about Music Soul Child. That was, that was our, our stuff back in the day, but he sings this song called Love. He says, love. So many people use your name in vain. It was like, whoo, that man got a butter voice. So I was like listening to that John. He started going in. He talking about how love is all of this. And then I think about this other song that's kind of more depressing about love. And it says, what in the world is this thing called love? He's trying to figure out how to answer this question, that love is so confusing to us. I, I can't quite grasp love. And then, uh, if you've ever watched Rush Hour before, you have the song that was sung in the car there, <laughs> love, what is it good for? What is the answer? Absolutely nothing. Anybody want to amen that song right now? <laughs> See, all of us are striving for this thing called love. Some of y'all are fighting for it. Some of y'all are forcing it. Some of us are in relationships, and some of us are not. And some of us think we are and still are not. <laughs> love. It's a beautiful concept. Oprah has an idea about love. Obama has an idea about love. You have pastors teaching about love in the church. You have professors preaching about love in your college campuses. Everybody wants to talk about this concept of love. And the question is, how do we know when love is real? Well, John will answer that question in this text. For he will answer it by saying, you know love is real when it comes from heaven and not from earth. That love flows from God to others. That is the main idea of this entire text. That love flows from God to others, not the other way around. And so if we want to really know where to find love, we don't need to look horizontally. We need to look heavenward. Because that's where true love is found. A few years ago in uh, 2014, April 2014, in Flint, Michigan, uh, the water source was changed uh, from the Detroit water source all the way to the Flint water source. Now, you guys know the story and how it ends. Twelve people died in the change of water sources. People literally were coming home with rashes that they couldn't explain, mysterious illnesses, all because they switched the water source. And people, citizens of Flint, Michigan, were going around telling the government, writing letters, literally bringing water bottles full of this disgusting water, if you can even call it that. I remember seeing YouTube videos of somebody literally taking a lighter, placing it under the faucet, and where it should have went out, the flame actually burst all the more. Water. 
You sit there and you ponder that and you can tell that the citizens of Flint are angry for a reason. Because they're saying that this is a bad source of water. But here's what I don't want to tell you. That any citizen that you would ask in Flint, Michigan, if you would like to change your water source from that which is killing you to that which is actually helping you and healing you, they would immediately answer, yes, let us change it. But what was done to them by force, I'm afraid that we sometimes do to ourselves on purpose. But not when it comes to the source of water that is, we use but when it comes to our source of love. We go to a bad source. We go to sources that poison us. We go into relationships that we know ain't good for us, that are killing us. We go to the internet, we go to YouTube to figure out relationship goals and relationship ideas, and we're trying to figure out how do I love and how do I know love when I see it from every source except the source that is the source, which is God in heaven. This text is going to tell us that love flows from God to others. Love flows from God to others. And there's two points that you'll see in this text. First off, that God demonstrates his love to us. Second point, therefore, we must demonstrate his love to others. God demonstrates his love to us, therefore, we must demonstrate his love to others. Look at what the text says. It says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I like this. He says, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. God's love is the origin of all love. Here's what the text is teaching. That God's love is the source of all love. Where you see genuine love, you can look upward because that is where it came from. God's love is the source of all love. And what this means is that we are either patterning our love after God's love or we are perverting God's love into something different altogether. It's either a pattern or a perversion. But it's all sourced in God. You are not creative enough to figure out love on your own. <laughs> That's good news to somebody. You've been figuring out, trying to figure it out like, all right, now I know he said like he was going to text me back at like 5 p.m., but now it's like 5.05. <laughs> Does he love me? And you're just tripping trying to figure out, man, what does love look like? But the text is going to teach you that genuine love comes from God. If you don't know Jesus, you need to run as far as you can in the other direction. Because he can't possibly pattern himself after a love that he doesn't even know. All love is origin in the love of God. Now, as I thought about this a little bit, I thought about a time where I was in Philadelphia and we would always have these grocery stores right in the middle of the city. It was dope. And go to inside of there. And when you come out, you already know what you're getting. 
you're going to get just a, a few people who are trying to sell you these like oils that help you to smell good for your young lady. Uh, you're going to get a few people asking for change. And then you're going to get these dudes on the corner who are saying, CDs, DVDs, CDs, DVDs. Y'all got that in Iowa City? Y'all don't even got that. See? 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 See, and what they were doing was they were trying to sell you these DVDs that hadn't even come out of the theater yet. And you go and buy it, and uh, I say you because, of course, I didn't buy it being a Christian, right? But you buy this, John, and, and I'm told that you get it and you put it in the DVD player, and it begins playing the movie, but from the get-go, it just doesn't seem right. For some reason, the, the camera's all off-centered. Uh, it looks like it's at a diagonal angle. And then randomly, when the scene is at its climax, you'll see a person's head just kind of get up and go out to the back door. And you realize what happened was my man took a phone into the theater, set it up in the middle of the theater so he could get the, what he thinks the perfect opportunity to record this video and then sell it on the street. And as soon as I got it, I remember the movie and everything. It was American Gangster. Just telling myself, confession, right? Soon as I got the movie, I said, I will never do this again. I want to forever go and get the movie from the source because from the source, it's always better. The quality is always better. The freshness of the movie is always better. The purity of the movie is always better from the source. And what I find is the same thing with love, that we find ourselves trying to figure out what love is from our girlfriend and boyfriend and trying to figure out love, what love is from YouTube and trying to figure out love is from TV. And it's like, go to the source. God is the manufacturer of love. And you can either go to God and get it at the wholesale price of free 99 or you can spend everything and get the bootleg whack version. Your choice. Your choice. You have options. <laughs> I hope you choose the, the former. God's love has been manufactured in order to display it perfectly to you. Now, not only does God produce love, but God is love. Look at what the text says, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is what? Love. Now, anybody ever read this text before? Even if you haven't read it, have you seen it on a billboard before? Seen it on posters, seeing it on the back of cars? This idea that God is love is everywhere. People don't know anything else in Scripture, don't even know that they're quoting Scripture, and they'll tell you, but God is love. And what does that mean? It's not to negate all of God's other attributes. It's actually to qualify them. I'm going to take you just to school just for a second. So when we talk about God and who he is in his nature, many theologians basically dissect God's attributes into these two categories, communicable attributes and incommunicable. Somebody say communicable. And say incommunicable. Y'all are on the money. Y'all are theologians already. Now check it out. Communicable attributes are the attributes that God has literally reigned on mankind. He's passed them to us. We can have these things. Stuff like wisdom, 
faithfulness, goodness, justice, mercy, patience, holiness. God has passed those to mankind. And when the text says that God is love, it is not to negate all of these other attributes. It's actually to qualify them. That God's mercy is a loving mercy. That God's faithfulness is a loving faithfulness towards you. That God's kindness is a loving kindness. And as we learned in the first sermon, God's justice is a loving justice. But not only does it qualify God's communicable attributes, the stuff that he passed to mankind, but it also qualifies his incommunicable attributes, the stuff that mankind don't get close to touching. These attributes are attributes like self-sufficiency. Say self-sufficiency. Man, y'all are on it. Self-sufficiency. This is exactly what it sounds like, that God doesn't need anything to exist. He has the power to exist in and of himself. God's eternality, that God always was, God always is, and God will forever be. The fact that God is immutable, say immutable, that's a fancy word, sounds just way too cool. All it means is that God don't change. I like it better when the old saints say it, God don't change. I don't know what y'all talking about, immutable. God don't change. God don't change. And finally, God's omnipresence, that God can be all places at one time. You can be in one spot at once. And if you want to be real cool, you'll get on a plane and fly. God just says, all right, cool. Uh, I'm chilling here in Des Moines. We at the embassy suites just worshiping. And at the same time, he is kicking it in China, receiving the glory from the saints there as well. That's dope. Now, God's incommunicable attributes, he doesn't share with us. But here's what the text is saying. That God's love does not negate any of those attributes, but it qualifies them. That God is not just self-sufficient, but he's self-sufficient in love. Meaning that God did not have to create anything in order to love because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed with love in between them. They don't need you to love you. In fact, the only reason they love you is an overflow from the love that they already have for one another. There was a dance party in heaven with just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit kicking it, laying back, checking out each other's glory. Man, man, the Son, man, you look good, man. The Spirit looking at him like, you look good too, boss. Like, they just going back and forth, back and forth, always in love with one another. And guess what? You weren't invited to that party. (laughs) That was them on their own. But then, because God loves you, and though he is self-sufficient in his love, he then sends the invitation that you get to join the dance. That's crazy. God's love is eternal. God is eternal in his love. God's love is unchanging. This means that the same love that called you to be saved is the same love that will keep you until Jesus returns. Finally, God's love is omnipresent. God is omnipresent in his love. That no matter where you are on this earth or in the depths of your sin, go ask Jonah how far God will go to display his love to someone. 
God is omnipresent in love. God is love. And because he is love, he is the source of all of the love that we find. Now, the text move on. And it says in verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I like this a lot. Because if you just read verse 7 and 8, this sounds like an incredible theory. God is love. You know what I mean? We just talk about it all the time. Like you just... You can almost just see yourself dreaming. God is love. And you just start basking in this thought that God is love. That means he wants my happiness and he wants me to experience a waterbed. And he wants me to experience, I'm sorry, I just love waterbeds, y'all. <laughs> and he wants me to experience a PS4 with better graphics than Xbox, but you don't have to pay to go online. Like he wants me to experience all these things, right? Sorry, this is all me. This is what I would hope, right? And we would bask in this like fuzzy idea of God is love, not knowing what to do with it. All theory. But verse 9 gives flesh to what he was explaining in the first two verses. Not only is God love in theory, in declaration, but God has manifested his love. He's declared it and he's demonstrated it to us. He says, how did he do this? In two ways, by sending his son to revive us and by sending his son to redeem us. By sending his son to revive us and by sending his son to redeem us. You know what revival looks like. It's the fact that you were dead, Ephesians 2 says. You weren't drowning. You weren't just depressed. You were absolutely dead in your sins. That was the state. It wasn't like, okay, ah, ah, I'm fighting. I, I, I'm, I, I never learned how to swim, so I'm trying to doggy pedal, but the waves are too high. Wasn't that? He said, you've been at the bottom of the ocean for, your, the, for a while, and your body was beginning to decay. And Jesus Christ at that moment comes down, grabs you, and brings you up to new life in him. Revives you. I love how Colossians chapter 3 says, he says, Christ who is your life. Christ is your life. You don't have life apart from him. This is what he says. He said he sent his son to be the savior of the world. He sent his son so that we might live through him. You live through him. And I like that a lot. Because this means that as soon as you sign on to be a Christian, you, for the rest of eternity, and this is a humbling statement, you, for the rest of eternity, are on life support. That's crazy. That's crazy. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you are spiritually dead. But if you have Christ, know this, you are never, not even for a moment, not dependent upon Jesus Christ as your life support. Everybody, any, anybody ever uh, watched a movie called Million Dollar Baby? Uh, it's a very depressing movie uh, if you've never watched it. Boxer, uh, lady, female boxer, she killing it, pow, 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 killing everybody, cat, cat. 
And so she starts killing this one girl, and she get, this girl gets mad, and she cheap shots her. And she falls down on, on her neck on the, 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 the stool that had literally slid under her neck. And she breaks her neck, severs her neck, and she's in the hospital, and she's on life support. And she ends up literally trying to kill herself by biting her tongue into the point that she would bleed out at night. And they keep reviving her, keep bringing her back. But she says, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be dependent upon life support for the rest of my life. And some of us have that same kind of pride that we don't want to be dependent upon Jesus for the rest of eternity. But that is all that he offers. You don't have the power to exist in and of yourself, so you must turn to Jesus Christ. What I love about Jesus is that it's different than any medical life support we have in the United States. Because while she felt like though she was alive, she really wasn't living when she was connected to life support. When you're connected to Jesus Christ, though you think you were living before, you ain't never tasted of life in this way. You for eternity are on life support, but this is a life worth experiencing. Now, he goes on to say this, that not only has he redeemed us, but he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. A lot of big words here. Can you say propitiation? All of this means is that you have been paid for, redeemed. You were bought with a price. And I like this because sometimes we start to think that, like, we really something good. But don't get it twisted. This is why theologians call this the great exchange. I said to my church before that it's like exchanging a two-carat diamond for a two-dollar yo-yo. You weren't worth it. I love pastors who say, Jesus overpaid for you. (laughs) Don't think you were like the shiny Maybach on the lot. No. 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 You were scrap metal in the junkyard. (laughs) And Jesus Christ looks at the scrap metal like, huh, huh. That is just scrap metal. I ain't going to lie about it. Like, it's really scrap metal, though, like, for real. Like, dang, that's busted. (laughs) But you know what? Because of how good I am, I can do something with this. I'll pay full price for it. Jesus Christ doesn't pay any monetary amount, but Jesus Christ pays in his blood for scrap metal at a junkyard. Why? Not because you're something valuable in and of yourself, but because he knows what he can restore you to. He knows that he is powerful enough to restore you to the dignity with which you were created in. And this is what I love about Jesus Christ, is that he banks on himself. He purchases us because he knows he can restore us. Jesus Christ, and he purchased you at full price. There was an auction going on, if you will, and sin, Satan, and death were literally bidding, all just trying to get some way to grab your soul. And you can almost hear the auction, I hear sin and death, 500, 500, 700, 700, and then Jesus stands up and says, I'll pay with, it, with them for my life. I'll pay for them with my life. And the auctioneer literally stops. Ain't nobody ever paid that much for these guys. Well, 
It's not that no one has ever paid for you. It's that no one ever could. Because what Jesus pays for you with is the most expensive item in God's sovereign marketplace. Literally, the blood of the Son of God. He has redeemed you. God demonstrated his love by not only reviving you, but redeeming you. And that's why I love the text says, not that we have loved God. I love John. He's an old head now. So, you know, older people just say whatever on their mind. You don't even got to say that. But he's like, I need to let you know. Not that you love God, but that God loved us. Said, don't get it twisted. You are not the initiator of love. God is. Don't get it twisted. God has a patent on love. It flows one direction from God to others. When I think about this idea of the fact that God patented his love, I think about an artist formerly known as Prince. And he has uh, since passed, yes. Uh, but Prince is an incredible artist. And I think an underrated musician. And here's what's dope about Prince. His music is timeless. Now, I'm also a hip-hop head, and I, I love hip-hop that samples classic music in their beats. If you ever listen to Kanye's album, if you consistently listen to Ye, you'll realize that there is nothing original that he comes up with. All he does is takes old classics, rearrange them in a way that just sounds better. But there's a man named Prince that I, for some reason, couldn't find any tracks with his music sampled in it. And I was trying to figure out why. And I talked to my homie Ike, who had done some music production back in the day before he knew Jesus from some, for some big-name artist. And what he told me is that Prince won't let anyone sample his music. Prince thought that his music was too good all by itself. In other words, to sample his music would be to distort the original and to dishonor the originator. Well, this is the same way with God. God ain't going to let you sample his love. We are not in the business of sampling God's love. Let me take a little piece of what I like, throw out what I don't like. I like when you talk about you're for me. I don't like when you talk about you got to put my sin to death, though. And we think we're just going to sample God's love and then put it in this brand new package and it's going to be better. No, to sample God's love in that way is to not only distort the original, but to dishonor the originator. God's love is precious and perfect in and of itself. So all we're called to do is pattern our love after it. God is love. God demonstrates his love. Now, if you have heard this phrase that God is love, here is what is most important in the text. And I want you to just notice how much time we're spending on God's love because God's love is what permeates the rest of our love. Here's what's important in the text. God does not just declare his love to you, but he demonstrates it. Please don't miss that. All other loves, Allah is love. How did he prove it? I, I don't know, the Quran, I guess. My, my father said he loved me. How did he prove it? Well, he came to some of my baseball games. Awesome, Jesus died. 
How can anybody prove their love in a greater way than this? No one gets close. So why go anywhere else for love? They can tell you they love you all they want and they actually might mean it, but it will never even come close to the love that God has for you. He demonstrated his love. And all other gods and ideologies and religions all talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They say a whole bunch of stuff. God is love and our God is for you and he wants you to be good and he wants you to be your best you. That sounds really terrible because my best me is really bad. Ask Brit. It's awful. But he demonstrated his love by dying. That's legit. I used to love, um, back in the day, we would sing uh, songs for VBS. Y'all do VBS here? And we would, uh, there was one song, oh my gosh, for our summer camp. It was this song called Stand Firm. Stand firm when life changes. Stand firm through the ups and downs. Stand firm for you know that God is in control. And we would start cranking this joint in our church. <laughs> like cranking it. I'm talking about our cat would get on the drums and like, cat, 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 cat. I mean, bumping, kids, is, it's dope. And one of the reasons I love BBS songs is because they don't only sing these words, but they also act them out. And I want you to understand that God sang the most incredible love song to his people. That he's for you. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. That he is with you, lo, to the end of the age. That God in Christ Jesus have, has given you a love so special, so significant, so sealed, that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he sings this song all throughout Scripture. But he doesn't just sing it, he also acts it out. And God's sign language for love is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where we see love demonstrated. And so if that is the case, then we get to the application. We should demonstrate his love to others. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is all the text is teaching right here. Simply this. That when we love like God loves, the world perceives the presence of the Father. When we love like God loves, the world perceives the presence of the Father. And we've always been called to love like God loves. I love Jesus coming on the scene in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. And he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He said he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. We are called to pattern our love after God. And if this is the case, don't we have a beautiful picture of how to do so in Scripture? You get to 1 John chapter 3, and he says it clear as day. 
By this we know love, verse 16, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It don't get no more plain than that. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Why can he say that? Because God didn't love in word or talk. He loved in deed and in truth. We should fashion our love after the Father's love. We should fashion our love after the Father's love. Now, I'll leave you with this, and I'm out of your way. I used to, another confession, I used to play house all the time when I was a kid. Yep, me. I put my hand high in the air. Any, any other guys want to stand strong with me and say you used to play house too? I see that hand. Ladies, look around now. That's where, that's where your husband is right there. He's been having some practice. See what I'm saying? Now, I used to play house, and, uh, you know, you would find, you know, a young lady, and uh, she would want to be the wife, and you would want to be the dad, and, and nobody ever wanted to be the kid, so you would, you know, pick your kid brother, and clearly he would just be playing his own game anyway, but you act like that's your kid, and... And so we just gave up on that, and we started just using stuffed animals. Like, at least they obey what we're trying to do. <laughs> so I played this game, and I would literally hold these teddy bears like I would see my dad in the pictures holding me when I was an infant. And I would smile at them the way my dad would smile at me. And I would act like they were going to pee on me the way my dad would say I was going to pee on him. <laughs> and I would do all this stuff, and I just, every single thing that I saw my dad do, I would do it to these stuffed animals. I would want to just act out the love that my dad showed towards me. And this is what the text is telling us. The reason I spent so much time unpacking the love of God towards you is because that is the love you're going to have to show to others. That if God has been patient with you, shouldn't you be patient with others? If God fields all of your nonsensical questions, shouldn't you entertain the dude who asked the same question 65 times in a row? I know it's annoying. I am a pastor here in Des Moines. I know your pain. But if God fields my dumb questions, God, why did you have to move me to Des Moines from Philly? Why? God's just sitting there laughing because he's doing some incredible stuff here. And he fills my questions over and over again. If that's the love that God shows to me, shouldn't I show it to others? If God has been gracious to you, if God has been patient with you in your addictions, shouldn't you be patient with others when they confess their sin towards you? Even if it's the seventh time this week? If God has been so kind to you that he would lavish the riches that his son only has earned on you, then shouldn't you open your wallet and give it to those in need? Do you even know those in need? This is the love that God has for us. He didn't look at our situations on earth and say, well, guess that's their problem. And I'm so glad he didn't, because we couldn't solve our own problems. 
There are people amongst you that can't solve their own problems, and they're crying out for help, and God has sent you as his ambassador to help them. Why? Because God helped you when you were in need, dead in sin, and he didn't just assist you, but he revived you, gave you new life. And if that is the grace that God has shown to you, if that is the love that God has for you, then show and display that love to others. This is the call of the Christian faith. That God is love. And love flows from God to others. Guys, we are not called as sons and daughters of God to be dams but we're called to be fountains. A dam does nothing but stops the water flow, but a fountain allows for the water flow to then literally quench the thirst of others. We are not called to be dams, we're called to be fountains. That we are not called to stop the flow of love. It doesn't stop with me, but rather we're called to be a fountain and allow for that love to overflow to others who are desperately thirsty, knowing that I will never run out of my source because Jesus' love is eternal for me. Let's love like God loves Let's fashion our love after the Father's love. And let's find ourselves increasingly desiring to be fountains instead of dams. Because this is what God has called you to as a Christian son or daughter. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Your love is amazing. Man, it's crazy you died for me, Jesus. Man, it's crazy you died for us. We were undeserving literally scrap metal, and God, you overpaid for us, but we thank you so much, Jesus Christ, for giving your life for ours. So I pray for anybody who's under the sound of my voice, who's never yet received that love, that Lord, you would help them to understand, comprehend, and embrace the love you have for them. I pray for all others who have experienced your love and have become dams rather than fountains, would you transform them into what you're calling them to be by your grace and your grace alone. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. All God's people say, amen.